Experimentation is how generation-defining companies win. But you need a reliable, rigorous system to run experiments effectively. Welcome to EPPO, a next-generation A-B testing platform that helps modern growth teams maximize ROI and understand the impact of new features. Visit getepo.com freak to learn how EPPO can help you increase experimentation velocity while unlocking rigorous, deep analysis in a way that no other commercial tool does. That's G-E-T-E-P-P-O dot slash freak. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. If you watch the Today Show around, uh, say, the year 2000, this might sound familiar. Hi, everybody. Here we are uh, in my kitchen. It's about 18 hours plus before I get my first colonoscopy. That's journalist Katie Couric. In this clip, she walks her viewers through the entire process of getting a colonoscopy. From the prep... My first glass. Mm-mm-mm. Looking forward to it. Ooh, here goes nothing. To the procedure... How do you feel? Um, I feel... Um, very lethargic. To the aftermath. I didn't feel a thing. Okay. Yeah. You're brilliant, You're Dr. You're super Ford. patient. Thank you very <laughs> what much. What a team. Kirk's doctor goes on to tell her that the results were normal. About three years before her on-air colonoscopy, Kirk's husband, Jay Monahan, hadn't been so lucky. At the age of 41, Jay was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer, and he died just one year later. An estimated 150,000 people in the United States will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer this year, according to the American Cancer Society. Though colonoscopies are incredibly safe and effective, they aren't all that comfortable. A long, thin camera is inserted into a place where cameras don't usually go to detect changes or abnormalities in the colon. And the preparation isn't so fun either because it involves changing your diet for a few days and then drinking a laxative to clear out your colon. Because of what happened to her husband, Kirk wanted to ease people's anxiety about getting a colonoscopy and show her audience it was no big deal and that they should get one too. This is why you need to get tested because catching those growths before they turn into full-blown cancer is what it's all about. So make an appointment and make sure you go to someone who's experienced. Her intentions were good, but did Kirk's message work? From the Freakonomics Radio Network, this is Freakonomics MD. I'm Bapu Jenna. I'm a medical doctor and an economist. Each episode, I dissect an interesting question at the sweet spot between health and economics. Today on the show, celebrities influence a lot of what we do, from the headphones we buy to the clothes we wear to how we style our hair. But do they influence higher stakes decisions about our health? And if so, what happens when their message conflicts with medical opinion? (music) 
When Katie Couric had a colonoscopy on live TV, it was big news. No one had done or seen anything like that before. It caught the attention of this researcher, too. I'm Peter Cram, and I'm a professor and the chair of the Department of Internal Medicine here at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas. Peter didn't happen to catch Couric's colon cancer screening live. When he heard about it, though, he and his colleagues had some questions. We jumped on this and said, is there a way to try and find some data to see whether this had any impact? As any doctor knows, it can be really hard to get people to change their behavior. This is an eternal struggle. Lose weight, exercise more, eat healthy, all those New Year's resolutions, get your mammogram, take your cholesterol-lowering medication. Still, Peter suspected that Couric's on-air screening would have some effect on the population. In the year 2000, the Today Show had around 6 to 7 million daily viewers. He and his team looked at a database of 95,000 colonoscopies focusing on the time period before and after Couric screening. And by comparing that, we could get an idea about whether those physicians were doing more colonoscopies, whether they were busier after Katie Couric's on-air colonoscopy. So what we found was about a 20% increase in the number of colonoscopies that these physicians were performing. And that's important and it's significant. We know how hard it is to get people to change behavior. So to find that Katie Couric goes on TV, has a colonoscopy, and it has an impact sort of makes you rethink how much we as physicians can do or who do people really listen to? Maybe not their doctor. Peter noticed something else in the data. The other part, though, that's also really sort of cool is that we also found that the percent of colonoscopies being performed on women increased. So more women were getting colonoscopies after. And then here's where it gets sort of funky, is that the average age actually decreased. So there was a tendency towards more women and younger patients getting colonoscopies. And that gets into this tricky issue of unintended consequences or perhaps are the right people getting screened. So it's good news, but a little bit of sort of cautionary tale too, perhaps. It seems like Katie Crick increased screening rates, but it was in maybe some high-risk people, but also a lot of low-risk people the celebrity message needs to get the right people to get screened, not the wrong people. When Kirk had her first colonoscopy, the one she had on air, she was just 43 years old. At the time, colon cancer screening was recommended for adults starting at age 50 and for younger adults in some high-risk circumstances. Recently, the general screening age has been lowered to 45. But why 45? Why not start screening at age 44? It always is about the costs and the benefits. And the younger you are, the less likely you are to have colon polyps or adenomas. Those are precancerous lesions on your colonoscopy. But you still are going to have a risk of a complication from that colonoscopy. It's small. Colonoscopies are extremely safe. But there's always some risk. And then in addition, there's this cost issue. So the younger you are, 
you're going to incur the same cost and there is a lower opportunity for benefit because when you're younger, your probability of having any adenomas or preventing a colon cancer is much lower. So it's really all about trade-offs. This is especially challenging when you're screening for diseases like cancer since they run the risk of identifying other conditions that may never affect your health, which some doctors call pseudo-disease. Slightly abnormal prostate cancer labs or slightly abnormal mammograms, they can lead to lots of anxiety and sometimes unnecessary medical procedures like biopsies. The age cutoffs we see for screening tests, they try to balance these considerations against making sure that we also screen people early enough to identify problems that we can do something about. Peter's paper was published in 2003 in the journal now known as JAMA Internal Medicine. That was nearly 20 years ago. How and where we get news has changed a lot since then. So what kind of influence might Couric screening have on viewers today? And what might be some limitations of the celebrity effect? We'll talk about that right after the break. Experimentation is how generation-defining companies win. But you need a reliable, rigorous system to run experiments effectively. Welcome to EPPO, a next-generation A-B testing platform that helps modern growth teams maximize ROI and understand the impact of new features. Visit getepo.com freak to learn how EPPO can help you increase experimentation velocity while unlocking rigorous, deep analysis in a way that no other commercial tool does. That's G-E-T-E-P-P-O dot slash freak. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Now, more than ever, there are tons of places to get medical information. Some might say too many. Friends and family can be important influences in uh, patients' healthcare decision-making, and then, of course, the physician as well. Increasingly, the Internet is playing a role in patients getting their health information. In the social media age, the speed at which information can be delivered and the audience that information can reach has only been amplified. That's Sunitha Desai. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Population Health at NYU's School of Medicine. Sunitha researches how patients make medical decisions. And as she said, people make their healthcare choices with information from all sorts of places, not just their doctor, but from their family and friends, and from the internet and social media too. Celebrities, of course, play a role in that. Katie Kirk isn't the only celebrity to raise awareness for a disease. We see this all the time, actually. Sunitha and I worked on a paper that looked at another example of how a celebrity's messaging 
could affect preventive care. In May of 2013, Angelina Jolie published an editorial in the New York Times. It was called My Medical Choice. In this editorial, Jolie announced that she had tested positive for the BRCA genetic mutation. Women who have the BRCA mutation have a significantly elevated risk of developing breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And so in this article, she tried to raise awareness about the opportunity for BRCA genetic testing, urge women to go out and get it, especially if they had a family history of breast cancer or ovarian cancer. Jolie's mother died from breast cancer at the age of 56 after a decade-long struggle with the disease. As a result, Jolie was tested to see if she carried the BRCA gene mutation. The BRCA genetic test is a blood test, and it's expensive. It runs at about $3,000 per test. Her test showed that Jolie had about an 87% risk of developing breast cancer and a 50% chance of being diagnosed with ovarian cancer. That's even higher than normal for someone with the BRCA gene mutation. The test to detect this mutation is expensive for most people, but in Jolie's case, it paid off. Then she took another big step. She also announced her decision to get a preventive bilateral mastectomy, and this would significantly reduce or eliminate the risk of her developing breast cancer. In the editorial explaining her decision, Jolie wrote, I wanted to write this to tell other women that the decision to have a mastectomy was not easy. But it is one I am very happy that I made. My chances of developing breast cancer have dropped from 87% to under 5%. I can tell my children that they don't need to fear they will lose me to breast cancer. This article did generate a lot of attention. It was one of the most viewed articles in the New York Times that year, And, you know, up to that point, certainly one of the most viewed health-related articles in the social media age. Sunitha and I had an idea. We know that public figures have a lot of reach and influence, but we really wanted to understand whether the experience or announcement by a public figure about healthcare would actually impact people's decision-making about their healthcare. We collected data on about 9.5 million privately insured women across the country. Then we looked at rates of BRCA gene testing before the article came out and after. We saw a pretty substantial and immediate effect on genetic testing rates following the publication of the article. So just to put some numbers on this, in the 15 business days before the article, the testing rates were 0.71 tests per 100,000 women. And following the article in the 15 days after, testing rates increased to 1.13 tests per 100,000 women. So in other words, Jolie's article led to a 64% increase in the likelihood of a woman getting the BRCA genetic test. I was surprised by the magnitude and just the immediacy of it that, you know, in basically two weeks after we are seeing such a large jump. There are a couple of caveats I should mention. First, we weren't able to look at the results of these tests. So we don't know if the increased testing actually identified more high-risk women who had the mutation. But more on that later. 
Also, while we had a really large sample size, we only looked at women with private insurance. Our work did show that there was still a big cost with all of this testing. We did some back of the envelope calculations and estimated that the article was associated with 4,500 additional tests being performed in our population, which translates to $13.5 million in additional expenditures from the genetic testing. And these increases were also sustained through the rest of the year as well. So this wasn't just a short-term 15-day effect. Even though this blood test is expensive, it isn't invasive. So you can easily argue that the benefits of BRCA mutation testing for some women outweigh the cost, especially if they can afford it and if they have a family history of breast or ovarian cancer. But BRCA mutations are pretty rare. When Jolie wrote the article, she reached a lot of people, the large majority of whom did not have to worry about the problem. About 1 in 400 people have a BRCA mutation. When we have very low incidence of some underlying condition, as we do with the BRCA mutation, we really want to try to target screening to those that are at higher risk, especially given that screening is so expensive. Not to mention, most experts aren't calling for universal BRCA mutation testing. There are some researchers at UCLA that estimated that if we were to screen every woman in the country, that would cost $400 billion. And again, given the low rates of this mutation, that would translate to $1 to $2 million to detect any single carrier. There was more to our analysis. The second question we wanted to answer was whether this article also led to increases in mastectomy rates. Remember, we didn't have information on whether women who got tested for the BRCA mutation actually had the mutation. But using the same data, we were able to look at mastectomy rates over a long period of time. We reasoned that if BRCA tests were positive in the women who decided to get tested because of Jolie's op-ed, we would see higher mastectomy rates down the road. We did not find evidence that the article resulted in increases in mastectomy rates. And in fact, among women who had had the BRCA genetic test, we actually saw a small decrease in the rates of mastectomies from 10% of women who had the BRCA test getting mastectomies before the article to 7% mastectomy rates following the article. And so the article didn't necessarily target the high-risk women. To put it another way, instead of targeting women who are at high risk of having the BRCA mutation, Jolie's op-ed seemed to have encouraged more testing among the worried well. While it's amazing that celebrities may be able to reach so many people and influence their healthcare choices, this work shows that there seems to be an inflection point. Celebrity health experiences and endorsements matter, and they can influence people's behavior. And public figure announcements, you know, can be a tool. They're a pretty low cost and effective means to raise awareness about a test like this or some other service or health message that needs to be delivered. However, our findings related to the mastectomy rates suggest there's a little bit more nuance here, especially in terms of targeting. These types of messages might not target the subpopulations that need to be targeted. 
the COVID-19 pandemic has presented an opportunity to learn in real time about the effects high-profile people can have on spreading health information for good and for not so good. With the COVID vaccine, there are celebrities on both sides, right? There are celebrities who seem to be like very publicly anti-vaccine, as well as those who are promoting vaccines. Let's take the example of podcaster Joe Rogan. He hosts a show called The Joe Rogan Experience. His comments about COVID-19 have been controversial, like his view that young, healthy people don't need to be vaccinated. When Rogan had COVID last summer, he took the drug ivermectin, which is not an effective COVID treatment. And then, a couple of months ago, he had a doctor on his show who spread misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccine. Rogan apologized, sort of, but he also defended his actions. I will do my best to try to balance out these more controversial viewpoints. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Let me just say, there are controversial questions when it comes to COVID-19. Things that we should be debating. Areas where the science isn't fully clear, but where trade-offs are certain, like whether to mask two-year-olds. But there are also areas where the science isn't really in dispute. And in those cases, a guy with one of the most popular podcasts in the country should probably strive to be right. He speaks directly to 11 million listeners each week, which begs another question. How should we be thinking about healthcare advice from celebrities in the first place? Here again is Dr. Peter Cram from the University of Texas Medical Branch. Charles Barkley, the basketball player, would say, I am not a role model. I'm a basketball player. Social media has spread and everybody now has a platform. You know, I tell people, I don't talk about COVID. I'm not a COVID researcher. I'm going to stay in my lane here. And, you know, the gastroenterologists know colon cancer screening really well. The primary care physicians know colon cancer screening really well. I think that it really does behoove us as individuals to think about who are we getting our advice from. All this is to say Peter isn't totally hopeless about harnessing the power of celebrities. I could envision a world where celebrities could significantly help public health in numerous areas be it screening, be it taking your blood pressure medication, controlling your diabetes. If the celebrity were carefully delivering a scripted message developed in concert with healthcare professionals, it could be extremely powerful. And in some cases, you know, celebrities have been a cause for good where celebrities have reached out to certain communities to say, if you're worried about getting vaccinated against COVID, well, I've been vaccinated and I am of the same political, racial, ethnic, gender group that you are. And I think that when that's done right, it can be a tremendous force for good. In April 2017, the rapper Logic released a song called 1-800-273-8255. That's the number of the U.S. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The song is about a person thinking about suicide who eventually gets help. I've been on a low, 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 I've been on a
It ended up being a hit, and the music video racked up hundreds of millions of views on YouTube. Researchers from around the world wanted to know if this song had any effect on the suicide rate in the U.S. In a study published in the journal BMJ in December 2021, they looked at national suicide data around three major media events related to the song, its release, the Grammys, and the MTV Video Music Awards. The researchers found that Lifeline saw a nearly 7% increase in calls and an almost 6% drop in suicides in the weeks after these events drew attention to the song. The researchers estimated that 245 lives were saved as a result. Given the responses we saw to Katie Couric, Angelina Jolie, and Logic, you'd think that celebrity effects on our health are common. But we only hear about research that gets published. And there may be examples where people have looked for celebrity effects, but not found them. I want to share one example with you. The actor Chadwick Boseman died in 2020 from colon cancer at just 43 years old. You might wonder whether his tragic death, which got a ton of attention in the media, led to increases in colon cancer screening overall, and especially in black men. Well, I've actually been able to look at this because of you. A few weeks ago, I got two emails from listeners. One, a colleague of mine, Max Jordan Ngumeni Tiako, who suggested this idea. And the second, from a company called Truveta, an organization of large health systems in the U.S. that have partnered to share clinical data to accelerate research. With these data, we were able to see if there were any increases in colonoscopies after Bozeman's death. And there were not, even among black men, who we thought might have been more likely to respond to his death. I wanted to mention this study because when it comes to research, we rarely know what we don't know. Couric's impact on colonoscopies, especially in younger women, was clear. Why didn't Bozeman's death have the same impact? In the end, what Couric, Jolie, and others have done is brave. Their stories have probably resonated with people more than numbers or data points, and maybe more than a conversation with a doctor. So if there's a way to bottle up that messaging power and make sure the most high-risk patients hear appropriate information, I say, let's do it. And if there's a way to make sure that lower-risk patients don't undergo tests that they don't need, I think we have to try to do that too. Because even if celebrities don't think people should listen to them, Many still do. Coming up next week, can we make dying less hard? The vast majority are wondering why was that not offered sooner? And what stands in the way? If I gave you the job of walking into a room and telling someone that it looks like their life is coming to a close, it's not a topic that you want to bring up. That's next week on Freakonomics MD. If you'd like, send me your thoughts about this episode or any episode, really at bapu at freakonomics.com. Thanks for listening. Freakonomics MD is part of the Freakonomics Radio Network, which also includes Freakonomics Radio, No Stupid Questions, and People I Mostly Admire. All our shows are produced by Stitcher and Renbud Radio. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Bapu Pod. 
This episode was produced by Mary DeDuke and mixed by Eleanor Osborne. Our senior producer is Julie Canfer. Our staff also includes Allison Craiglow, Greg Rippin, Gabriel Roth, Rebecca Lee Douglas, Morgan Levy, Zach Lipinski, Ryan Kelly, Jasmine Klinger, Emma Terrell, Lyric Bowditch, Jacob Clementi, Alina Coleman, and Stephen Dubner. Our music was composed by Luis Guerra. To find a transcript, links to research, and a newsletter sign-up, go to Freakonomics.com. If you like this show or any other show in the Freakonomics Radio Network, please recommend it to your family and friends. That's the best way to support the podcasts you love. As always, thanks for listening. I don't know. What celebrity would I take advice from? I don't know. Maybe Dr. Dre. I mean, he's a doctor, right? (laughs) You know, Dr. Dre has done some research on chronic disease. The Freakonomics Radio Network. The hidden side of everything. Stitcher. Stitcher.